This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Lydia Project. Some interviews we do take 25 minutes. They are a one-hit wonder. Often they're the ones that we do on Zoom. And when it comes time to edit it and put it together and publish it, it's a fairly straightforward process. Other interviews just seem to take a really long time. And this next interview is one of them. It started with my first ever ride on a new scooter that my husband Dave had bought. And I was much slower on it than I thought I would be. So I was really late getting to Katrina's house. And when I got there, by the time I'd calmed down and had a drink of water, we started recording the interview. And look, it was a little surprising to Katrina uh, for a couple of reasons. I think because she doesn't usually talk about herself. And it's quite a strange experience to talk about yourself if you're normally someone who asks other people questions and focuses on them. So it was quite strange. But the other really distressing thing is that we were having big recording issues, all, all my fault, all on my side. And basically, we lost almost an hour worth of conversation and had to go back and re-record it. And because I was so nervous about losing it, I had to keep stopping and checking and saving. So it was a little bit disjointed and I just need to explain that to you because a couple of times I ask questions that seem like I know everything about her life, but it's only because we had just spent the previous hour talking about it. However, all of that aside, it was actually a lovely morning to spend on Katrina's balcony. You'll hear the beautiful Brisbane crows in the background and as it turned out, I scored a really yummy lunch because I was there for so long. But what I really loved about chatting with Katrina is just she is one of those people who is so delightfully candid. There were some things that she couldn't be candid about, which was a real shame. I completely understand, but she works with kids with quite severe disabilities and she's really passionate about this work and loves telling stories about the kids that she works with. And it's great to hear those stories, but because of privacy, she really couldn't tell many of those stories. But when it came to talking about herself, she was delightfully uh, unselfconscious, and I really appreciated her honesty and her opening up about health and prayer and uh, body image and being a pastor's wife and her job and all sorts of things that I know you're going to appreciate hearing about. Katrina, thank you for agreeing to being interviewed by The Lydia Project a second time. No problem. (laughs) Tell me how you became a Christian. Okay. I always felt that God had me and I always knew about God. But when I was in high school, I had an RE teacher who would just speak every week about her passion for the Bible and for God. 
and I really admired her. And then a couple of friends at school just invited me to church and I went, sure, I'll come. And then I went on a scripture union camp and the leader on camp said, well, you need to decide before to go, you go to uni that, you know, where you stand. It's really important because university is big. And I went, okay, I guess I stand for God then. And so that, that was it. So it was like a gradual growing into it. Because there would have been a lot of parts of your life that weren't Christian just from your upbringing. And so did you find like it took a while to sort of work out how to live as a Christian and how to relate um, to God? I think so. My family wasn't particularly non-Christian at all. And we went to Sunday school when I was little. And so once I decided to I wanted to go to youth group, Dad would just drop me off every week. So he's always, they've always been very supportive of what I wanted to do. And because I've done music probably my whole life, much music is sacred. So you kind of hear a lot about it. What do you mean by that? So like all the choral music, like all of Bach's choral music is sacred music. So you like you have the words and the ideas and the themes all the time. So you felt like you sort of knew about God through that kind of music? I don't know. No, yes, no. Yes. No. Yeah, well, I'd say yes. So, like, I think the resonance of what these composers did is so important. Who's your favourite composer? Compo I can't believe we've got to here. <laughs> I appreciate the sort of the bark stuff, and I just, I just love how we had to come up with something new every week for church. Imagine if you put that on your music pastor now. Wow, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. Every week, new cantata. Really. Yeah. And every week the choir had to learn it. Yeah. And they're pretty complex. Yeah. Wow. Tell me some of the ministries that you've been involved in over the years. Yeah. So when I was um, first Christian through uni and post-uni and stuff, I did lots and lots of beach missions and camps and was a leader on lots of things. And that was really good because that really forced you to step up and talk with kids and young adults and teenagers about why you believe and stories and that. I think I probably did a lot of my learning about the Bible through listening to other people on those camps. And then I did kids ministry at church for a long time, sort of followed what my children were up to, so play group, kids church, and then taught RE when they were at school for a while, and then a lot of puppeting and storytelling. Yeah, so tell me about Wide-Eyed Stories. Wide-Eyed Stories is a very small micro business, but we do get paid to do stories um, and shows through schools and churches and festivals. And what kind of shows do you do? About 30 to 40 minute stories. So if we're at school we'll do sort of three to four folk tales usually and then if we're churches we'll use stories from the Bible. What's the value of stories in communicating do you think? I think you emotionally connect very well with stories and you can see what the characters are doing and how they respond to situations. And I think that's probably one of the most important ways that kids and people learn, and that's what Jesus did, use stories an awful lot, about how, yeah, just different people resolve issues or things happen to them and then have consequences. And so the kids watching and adults see themselves in one of the characters? In one of the characters, in the stories, yeah. And just, you remember it because you've got an emotional response to it. Actually, I went to an interesting research talk once about the power of narratives. And she was saying that most kids who are in juvenile detention 
haven't had stories when they were little and so they don't think about characters, problems, resolutions, so you have trouble thinking about consequences. So if you do something, you can't, you know, imagine it out to the end, which gets you in trouble. Yeah, and maybe also lack of empathy as well. If yeah. You, if you're not used to sort of hearing other characters and other points of view. Yeah. With your little micro business, <laughs> I'm guessing it started with doing things for church and then you thought, oh, well, we could do this for other churches. and Yeah, but other churches and schools. and cause, um, What made you decide to go into schools as well, like just because you could? We were all mums at schools and we just said, oh, you do puppets, you want to come and do a show? I went, okay. And I, I mean, I love other stories as well. Like I love folk tales and fairy tales and making sure kids have that part of their canon of knowledge as they grow up. You mentioned your other work. Tell me what you do for your other work. Is it three days a week? Three days a week I work as a speech pathologist with kids with complex communication needs. So I didn't start out as a speech pathologist wanting to land in this area. So I just did general school speech pathology working on. Oh, tell, me, how, tell me why you chose speech pathology. Why did I choose speech pathology? <laughs> so I got to the end of grade 12 and I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I got a better mark for my exams than I thought I would. So I had more choices. And then mum and I were just kind of flicking through the QTAG book going, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> and my mum was like, come on, you need to decide. Pick something. Pick something. <laughs> and I was good at English and good at science, but I didn't really want to do a science degree because I wanted to work with people. And so mum said, what about speech pathology? And I think God just put me exactly in the right job because you get to talk all day. You do get to do quite a lot of analytical thinking. And recently, probably in the last 10 years, I've got to do a lot more technology than I ever thought I would in a therapy kind of job. The schools you work at, how many students are at the schools? So at one of my schools, there's about 160 students. Another one's about 70. And you're the only speech? I share the job at the bigger school right. and then... I'm the only one at the other one. Far out. And mm. so the students you said have complex communication needs? Yes. So Can you explain <laughs> what that actually means? Okay, so for whatever reason, so you've either got cerebral palsy or autism or unnamed syndrome or nobody's quite worked it out yet you have really significant difficulties with verbal language. So most of the students I work with are non-verbal. Um, yep. So you're a speech pathologist working with kids who don't talk. Yep. So it's all about communication. Yeah. How do you teach the kids to communicate? Probably a lot of my job is really, really watching what kids are doing currently to get their message across, which could be a variety of things. They could be just using their bodies or doing some gestures, or they could be really frustrated and, and kicking and screaming and pinching and pulling. And um, a lot of that is their frustration at not being able yeah, to it's pretty Yeah, it's frustrating. If you can't say what you want to say, it is really frustrating. So hard. And then giving and modeling the words that they could use. So either using pictures that you point to or iPads or computers or sign language. How do you start like with someone who has no words? You start with modelling what they could say. So if a kid was playing on a swing 
you could just say swing more swing let's go I'll push and just point to pictures and give them the sign and then I'd probably do something like pause the swinging and then see what they would do so if they move their body forward they then oh you want more okay sure let's do more and show them the sign and show them a picture or point it on the iPad or something like that so it's just putting giving them options of what they could do mm-hmm. and when you first meet kids like when I guess most of them start school at five or so like I would think it would be very very challenging do you find the kids hard hard to love or do you find that quite easy I find it very easy because at the end of the day they're just they're a kid who Jesus loves and they're just there you know living their best five-year-old life (laughs) kicking and screaming (laughs) kicking and screaming but I think it's really important to make sure that um, that kid knows that you're present and you're there and you don't actually see I don't think I see the disability much anymore at all I notice it when I have a university student with me and they are sort of shadowing me for the first little while and they spend the first day kind of walking around with their eyes really big going what what is going on here and then a lot of my students have really subtle communication so you have to be really observant and watch what they're doing because their bodies are not working as well as they could so you send a message to your arm and it just doesn't happen. Which would add to your frustration yeah. as well. And do you get to know them really pretty well by the time yeah. you've finished? And their yeah. different personalities? And Definitely. Are there some that you just are delighted by? Yeah, and I think when kids start to communicate back, so probably it could. someone says, how long does it take to learn a communication system? And I usually say 10 minutes to four years. Mm. Like <laughs> I've had a few kids pick it up in 10 minutes and I've had a few kids that we do the same thing for four or five years and then it happens but when they start to show personality and say things and it's it's never the things you expect which is great because um, I just constantly remind myself and my teachers and the people that we're working with that we're not mind readers we have no right to assume that we know what this child's going to say for example I was talking with a young man this week and just working his way through his picture symbol book and he was telling me yes or no to all the things options I was offering him and we were in the health pages and I'm like in my head I'm thinking why are we in the health pages we don't you need to talk about hospitals and band-aids like we're in the classroom I don't know what you're going to say and he wanted to say diarrhea because he's seven years old <laughs> and <laughs> he probably also wants to say fart and poo, but that they was probably on, weren't options. They weren't options, so I could give him those options as well. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> well, I should ask him. I say, oh, can we add some more, you know, toilet humour to your book? And he'll probably say yes. What Christian qualities do you feel really need to come out? I mean, I'm thinking patience. If it takes, you know, four years to learn... A communication system you would have to be really patient but what other qualities do you I think, think you need to bring patience and persistence and I think you know those things about like God looks at your heart I think it's knowing that these are people who are beloved which yeah. changes everything doesn't it yeah these are beloved children that would impact the way you go to work and your mindset and how and why you do what you do yeah I think so do yeah. you think other people can see that or is it more just that's just why you give it your all I don't know (laughs) the answer to that one I don't know I hope they could 
I hope they could see that, you know, you're there showing God's love. But because it's a secular workplace, it's not an explicit, hmm. ta-da! <laughs> yeah. And what's your hope for the kids? I think my hope is that they are autonomous and independent with what they want to say. So you're not relying on somebody else's thoughts. Mm. You might be relying on somebody else to, you know, move your wheelchair or toilet you or feed you, but you're not relying on somebody else to give you your words that you want to say. What's sort of the best case scenario? I think the best case scenario is probably someone who's very complex, their body doesn't work very well, you can't type on a keyboard or you're blind or um, non-verbal. I think the best case scenario for me and what I'm aiming for is that you are literate and that you can use a computer to type out what you think and that you're on Facebook and you're having relationships and you're writing to your friends and your family. Yeah, that's why literacy is really important. Because yeah. you're not, yeah, you're not confined by the word, the pictures and words that I, your speech pathologist, gives you. You can just say whatever you like. So yes, I did have a girl who became quite literate, and she started writing out a lot of swear words. And I was like, okay, that's what you want to say. Yeah, <laughs> and she has to be able to, doesn't yeah. she? Because I'd be scribing for her, and then I'd be writing it down, going, "Are you saying what I think you're saying?" Yeah, you are. <laughs> and so you've got four-year-olds, and you've got someone who's swearing their head off. And yeah, yeah. That's just all in the she day. She was actually, she was. 16, so age appropriate. Yeah. Another part of your job is helping the kids eat. Yes. Is that because it's mouth and therefore speech pathology related? Yeah, so part of our job is mealtime management and swallowing. Mm -hmm. And is that challenging some days? Yes. I really like food, so I'm happy to talk about it a lot with kids and to support kids. I used to get um, a little bit frightened because you can aspirate, which means the food goes the wrong way down into your lungs. Um, which can be severe, yeah. but I'm not so much frightened of that anymore. I don't know. I think just get more experience and you can read what's happening with that. Mm. Yeah, it's just practicing what kids are eating and how they're eating it and what kind of support they need around it. Glad you're doing the work that you do, <laughs> Katrina. It's very valuable. <laughs> it's the type of work that's kind of, it's quiet, long-term work. It's not very flashy work. And do they like you? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> like, do they get that you're the one that can help them communicate? Oh, well, yeah, so here's a story. So I, I work at the blind school and I went and introduced myself. I was a new, took on a new class over from a colleague from last year. And so I went and introduced myself to the kids in that class and said, hi, I'm Katrina. You wouldn't believe, but I've got the best job in the school. I literally get to go around and talk to all the kids in the school and my job is to help you talk. And I'm the school speech pathologist. I mean, I'm so excited to meet you. And then we did our lesson and did some work. And then during the week, this little guy, he was um, having some troubles at his meal times. And the teacher was like, we need to talk about this because, you know, you're having troubles with what, what's happening here. Do you, should we talk to your mum about it? And he's like, no. And then she went through all the people that he could talk to about it. And then she went, was it someone at school? And he's like, yes. She's like, who's at school? And then she's finally went Katrina. And he was like, yes. And so obviously he's remembered. I've introduced myself to him as the lady you could talk to. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> he's like, well, I'm talking to her, obviously. Oh, good on him. So, yeah. So just for him to remember and say, oh, yeah, Katrina, she's the one. Yeah. I'll have a chat to her about the troubles I'm having. 
So I'm like, of course, my job the next day was obviously to go and talk to him first. Yeah. And were you able to help him? Yeah, we had a talk through about different things we could do yep. at mealtime to help him out. That's just, just interesting, just hearing you tell that story. His teacher had to... Like, she couldn't say, who do you want to talk to? And he come up with the name. She no, had to say have all to. the options because he yeah. could only sort of say yes, no. Is that... Yeah. Oh. Just, it just gives me a tiny glimpse into how challenging it would be mm. to be limited in your communication because mm. I just talk all the time and take it for granted. <laughs> yeah. So when you're not at work, you've been raising a family and yes. supporting your husband who works at church. Now, you mentioned to me that you're just... I mean, I want to say you're not the typical minister's wife. That's right. There, there you go. Okay, uh, I'm starting again. Do you see yourself as a minister's wife? No. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> just We've one just or two. been offered dumplings. We have. It's hard to say no, especially those elderly ones. That yeah. I think, oh, well, I don't have enough hairspray. I think I like to be at church to support my church family and to work in ministry and to be part of the worship team, which I'm loving, especially when it's with my daughter, who would think when you're a mum of a two-year-old that you'll end up being on the same worship team, which has been lovely. And playing the cool instrument. Playing a very cool instrument, bass guitar. Yep. But church has a lot of politics that I don't want to get involved in. And I think I don't want to mess relationships and I don't need to know where the spoons are in the kitchen and I don't need to bake. I actually don't really like baking at all. Really stresses me out. (laughs) (laughs) I'd much rather get up and tell a story or play some music or chat to a friend than, I don't know, organize a event. Yeah. Which is so great (laughs) because they're your gifts and by not baking and not knowing where the spoons are, You've got time and energy to jump mm. up and give a kid's talk or, you know, reach out to people that some people would find really hard to mm. do those other things. So I think it's great that you are using your gifts. And do you feel comfortable doing that or do you feel like it's a bit odd? I feel fine because I think Chris and I were at church before he started working for church. So I haven't come into church as the minister's wife. So I just have always just done what I've done. You've been Katrina. I've been Katrina. That's great. So that's been quite helpful. And of course I support Chris at home because it's not just cream that rises to the top. There is a lot of church crap. Mm. Do you mean like in people's lives or actually in church relationships? I think church relationships and also people's lives. And I think one thing that Chris is actually really good at is having hard conversations with people and making sure that they're okay with a lot of things. But that takes a toll Mm. on him emotionally. Tell me about the ministry of turning up. I think that's probably one of the biggest things you can do. It's like when you have a baby and you go to church and you think, well, I got nothing out of that. You're creating a rhythm for you and your baby of turning up. And then that means that that's part of their week. And just turning up for a person or turning up for God or just making sure that you're there. And that's what I've sort of passed on to Annika and Gabby, that like, we turn up for things. And they're like, mum, but no one's here. I'm like, we are, we've turned up. (laughs) Being there. So with church, that's, yep, turning up, being there and Mm. being present. Is that sometimes just an act of the will to get up, get dressed and get out the door? 
or is it more sort of choosing, okay, I'm going to give it my all when I'm there? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's um, making sure that you are present. And I think also in my work, like when you're working with someone who's in the beginning, not giving you a lot back because of a variety of reasons, turning up for them every week is really important. Well, it communicates that you value Hmm. the activity and them in the same way that turning up to church or Bible study or Hmm. coffee with a friend or whatever communicates, yep, this is important to me because you're important to me and yes hi Tori here I've just got to pop into the podcast interview because the recording of this one was a bit of a dilemma as I explained at the beginning and we missed a little bit of the conversation that I can't get back but basically at this point we started talking about body image and size and what to do if you feel like you're on the larger side of normal. Then the pressure to be a certain size is so prevalent. Especially at church or just everywhere? Just everywhere. And then because I've got two daughters, yeah. like you have to really think carefully about it and what kind of image you have and what you say about yourself and what you're happy with. And because I work in complex disabilities, like you get dealt a body there that you have no control over. Something I've been thinking a lot about. And then basically I've come to the conclusion, buy bigger jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't get sad. Just buy bigger jeans. And I think that's Enjoy good. the chocolate muffin, buy that bigger jeans. That is good jeans. life advice <laughs> for lots of us when we feel crappy about, no matter what size we are, trying to, you know, feel uncomfortable in yeah. skinny jeans or whatever, just buy bigger jeans. Yeah, it's really okay. And I know that I put the time into exercise. So yeah. you say that because you think being fit and healthy is just good for you or good? I think in it's general? good. It's good for me, my mental health, my joints. I want to stave off hip replacements and diabetes. Yep. Yeah, and it's, it's good to have the space to do it. And it's if I have grandchildren, I, I might. I want to take them to the playground and be able to, you know, walk around with them. Oh, come on. You want to swing on the swings? I want to swing on the swings. Yeah. But I think the pressure about, mm. you know, you have to be this size. And mm. I've been in, like, fitness groups and gyms and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, you know, how many centimetres are you going to lose off your weight? And you're 20 kilos over and you're like, uh, mm. it really is what it is. So I'm a bit over that culture. Yeah. And does it make you want to kind of um, have a go at it? Probably a little bit. Yeah. What are you thinking? (laughs) I don't know. And I think also because I work with kids who have such difficulties eating, such difficulties, that like I think about food a lot, but from the high calorie intake end, like, yeah, (laughs) almost the opposite. Yeah, it's the opposite. They need all the calories they can get. And that's a big thing because I'm thinking, why is this taking up so much mental load? It shouldn't. Just Mm. buy bigger jeans. But then it's also buying bigger jeans and just being happy with that. Yes. That's hard. Yeah. Because it's very wound up in your worth, I think. Mm. Because people are like, well, why don't you just eat less? I'm like, I eat probably about the same as you. It's not really about that. It's a lot about genes and hormones and... 
it can take up a lot of brain space. It really does. Yeah. And I think probably... every time you see yourself in the mirror, yeah. you, you look at the bit that you don't like and then, yeah, you're putting on the jeans that are too skinny or you see someone who looks like you would like to look. And yeah, so I started dance class. What type of dance? <laughs> it's like jazz, hip-hop dance. Fun. <laughs> so, I did dance when I was younger. And so my buddy remembers how to do it. And I'm like, no way. I am the biggest person in this class, but I can do it. Good on you. <laughs> show these and there's nothing like a dance studio that's covered in mirrors oh my gosh just like, oh, okay uh, here we go good on you hmm all right do you want to share a significant bible verse with us yeah so i thought about this and there's two so there's um from proverbs 31 there's a verse that says speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves which i think thanks god for writing my job description in the bible yeah <laughs> That's really cool. I think about that a lot. And then I also think about Romans 8 a lot and how reassuring it is that no matter how far away you seem, God has got you. Like we're more than conquerors and it's not ever too high or too wide. And what keeps you standing firm as a Christian? Friends and relationships with church family, with God, with my family friends yeah I think it's just like constant encouragement from yeah people around you and it's lovely because then you give that to them as well yeah and you help them yeah I've got a lot of long-term ongoing relationships that simmer and bubble away Mm. (laughs) (laughs) like a good spaghetti bolognese (laughs) fantastic what books are you reading at the moment okay so I've just finished wind in the willows which was for book club Tell me about your book club. Um, This is with my two school friends who are reasonably influential in me becoming a Christian. They live not in Brisbane. So we meet together once a month on Zoom and we talk about the books that we've read and catch up on our lives. And I think if I hadn't had that for the last 10 years, I wouldn't have talked to them as often. But it gives a really good common ground. We do a lot of classics because that's what's available. Easily. Far away. Um, you can't get new releases that come out in Australia when you're in another country. So I've read a lot of classic books. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of classic books. <laughs> Which is very good for my vocabulary and it's also good in an English literature kind of way that these books have, you know, shaped our cultures in some way. So, you know, those magazines that used to be a trendy thing in the 90s, you know, 50 books you must read. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You've probably read them all. Not all of them, but... A fair chunk. Yeah. Yeah, so we kind of look at those lists and go, oh, we haven't read that one. Let's go there. What are some of your favourites? At the beginning of the year, we finished reading Gentleman in Moscow, which is a new release, but really enjoyed that. And I think I enjoyed it more because we'd read some of the Russian literature previously. So we'd read Anna Karenina, which I really like. It's probably one of my, in my top five books. Have you read War and Peace? Yes. So good, isn't it? It's really good. I mean, really I know it's long, but it's so good. <laughs> it's really good. I don't know why people complain about it. I think it's just yeah. long. Yeah, that's why. I'm like, saying. the actual writing is easy to read. Yeah. Something you've been thinking about lately is exercise. Tell me about exercise in your life. So probably about eight or nine years ago, just po- it, was, it probably coincided when I could leave my children alone and go and do this. I started to think, okay, I need to do more exercise. And then I found as I did more exercise, my iron levels got better, my mental health was better, my joints and bone strength were better. 
and I started praying a lot more because I've never been a really good prayer. I don't know what it constitutes good prayer, but in my head, it's someone who can sit and concentrate for half an hour, an hour, and just on the one thing. And I don't think I can do that. But I found when I was swimming or walking, then if your body's busy, you can kind of let your mind rest and then rest on what God wants you to pray about a bit more. And that was actually quite releasing for me because I was like, oh, I can pray, but it just means my body needs to be doing something. Hmm. And probably swimming in particular because you can't really look at anything else. <laughs> You've got and a black line. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. quite repetitive and boring. It's really it? repetitive. There's not and even bumps in the pavement. No, and I think when I did swimming squad when I was a kid, so I can swim reasonably well, so I don't need to think about stroke very much, so you can let your mind rest. And how do you sort of do it? Like, do you just work through a list of people or do you have, you just let it go and just pray or? Yeah, sometimes a list of people. Sometimes when I'm in my car driving, I think, oh yeah, I need probably to pray about this today or a situation that's come up. But you know, like, you know, a personal lap. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, that'd, that'd be about a minute. <laughs> Pretty good. Oh, sorry, you're a squad swimmer. It's probably like 45 seconds. Oh, look, 30. 30. No, no, it's not. <laughs> So they're, Olympics, getting, here I they're come. getting a good minute, minute <laughs> good and a minute. half. <laughs> good two minutes. Mm. Mm. Because we're all different. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of different ways that we can do things in the Christian life. We don't all mm. have to fit yes. that one mould of waking up at 4.30 or... Yeah. Oh, mm. that's great that you've found praying and exercising. <laughs> it does not work for me, <laughs> but I'm glad it works for you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 